0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. No taste, no smell, undetectable and untraceable. This is the story of Russia's secret poison room. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From Empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Welcome, 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 my dear friend. I am TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. We're taking a walk on the weird side today with this episode, but before we get into that, just a friendly little uh, call to action for you. If you enjoy the podcast and you want other people to find and enjoy For the Love of History, leave a rating and a review which helps boost this podcast's visibility. Or, if that's not your thing, you can go to Instagram and toss out a few likes or a comment or something. And if you're really feeling in the giving mood, you can head on over to For the Love of History's Patreon and become a patron for just $2 a month. You get stickers when you sign up and a bunch of other cool goodies. But enough of that. Let's get into it. Poisons. Corrosive, irritant, necrotic, cardiac, asphyxiate poisons. We are talking about poison today. And not just any poison. We are talking about The poisons made in a secret Russian laboratory run by the KGB. Our topic today is no other than the secret Russian poison room. So grab your gas mask and your EpiPen if you got them and let's get to it. I'm sure most history lovers or armchair detectives or true crime aficionados have probably come across Russia's love affair with killing people with poison. And especially with the poisoning of Alexei Navalny that happened recently, like just less than a year ago, I think, Russia's preference for poison has become a hot topic. And this is nothing new. Russia, and especially Russian governments, whether it was the monarchy or the Communist Party, has a long love affair with poison. Starting in 1453, the Grand Duke of Moscow died after eating a chicken dinner laced with a delicious side of arsenic. In 1610, a Russian prince considered a threat to the Tsar was poisoned by his own wife. Rude. In 1016, a group of Russian nobles tried to kill everyone's favorite character from the movie Anastasia, Rasputin, by poisoning his food. They did it terribly. It went really wrong. They tried to kill him with cyanide, which is a great poison because it, like, suffocates their actual cells But he ate like two cakes that were laced with the poison and then he was given wine that was also laced with the poison. It didn't work out. They had to do a bunch of other stuff and eventually they threw him in the river and he finally died. But anyways, so as you can see, Russia has had a history with poison, but the day that would truly change the course of Russian espionage and really just history in general was August 30th, 1918, when a young revolutionary named Fanny Kaplan fired three poison bullets at Vladimir Lenin that would wound but fail to kill the Bolshevik leader. After recovering from his wounds, Lenin's secret police let him know what happened, revealing that Kaplan's poison of choice was curare, 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 curare. Anyways, it's a resin extracted from American plants and used by some indigenous groups in the states to poison arrowheads. Lenin's interest was totally piqued. He was mad, yeah, that somebody tried to kill him, but he was also really intrigued by the poison. And... As Boris Volodarsky writes in his book, The KGB's Poison Factory, it didn't take long for Lenin to start using poison against enemies of the state. In 1921, he opened a poison laboratory dubbed the Special Room or the Lab of Death. In 1921, the Soviet Union's Poison Factory began research on weaponizing biological and chemical agents. Their goal was to develop odorless, tasteless, and colorless poisons that victims could not detect when ingested and which would leave no trace. Western intelligence experts believed it was originally directed at using poisons en masse on the battlefield, but the KGB was like, nah, we have found out these substances work way better on individuals. And so, it began. Intelligence services played a central role in Soviet Russia from the outset. After the Bolsheviks seized power in Russia in 1917, the Soviet secret police, the Cheka, later known as the NKVD and then as the KGB, the most famous one, They became the Communist Party's sword and shield, shield to defend Russia's revolution and the sword to smite its foes. One type of sword the KGB wanted to develop was poisons, and thus the secret room was established. But as secrets are wont to do, the room caused paranoia, conspiracy, and conflict. The secret room would go through many changes of power and be called many things like Laboratory One, The Cell, or Chimera. The secret room was renamed Chimera under Stalin's rule. The Russian word for chamber is actually Chimera. Huh, fun. Its history has included multiple closures and rebuildings, but no matter the official name under which it operated, Its products continued to be refined and developed while still keeping its initial mission in mind, which was to combine known poisons into original and untraceable forms. When I was reading the different articles and watching the documentaries, (laughs) the people kept saying, like, bespoke poison, and I was like, ew, I don't like that. Like, you have, like, a bespoke suit, like a custom-made suit, but... It just feels weird to say bespoke poison, so I'm not going to be using that word. (laughs) But anyways, the lab has a few known locations, with the most notorious being in 1934 when the Camaro was right next to La Bianca, the KGB headquarters. The two were connected by a secret tunnel, which adds to the secrecy Prisoners and political leaders were seen going into the KGB headquarters, but almost never seen coming out. And I know you're asking yourself, why, DK? Why? That's a great friend. That's a great friend question. (laughs) Oh, that's a great question, friend. So prisoners from the Gulag, which was Russia's forced labor camps, and also political prisoners, would be used as guinea pigs for new poisons. They would run tests, they would run experiments, they would inject these poor people with all sorts of chemicals and poisons and new fandangled weapons. And if by some miracle you weren't dead in two weeks, they would take you out and shoot you using experimental bullets. Not just regular bullets. Explody bullets. Poison bullets. All sorts of fun stuff. For hashtag science. The list of victims, including the 200 prisoners from the Gulag, was an American, a former Comintern agent named Isaiah Oggins, who in 1939 had been sentenced to eight years in the Gulag for supposed anti Soviet propaganda. In 1937, Khmer came under the personal control of Genrik. Yagoda, which sounds like Yoda, but trust me, he's way less cute, way less adorable than Yoda. So, Yagoda was the head of the NKVD. Remember, this is like the precursor to the KGB. So, Yagoda had been a pharmacist before the Bolshevik Re- Revolution. So, he was familiar with poisons, he knew what to do, and he knew how to do some experiments, so he seemed to be the perfect fit for the new leader of the Chimera Secret Poison Lab. But, unfortunately, he was, like, too good at his job, and Stalin soon had Yagoda arrested and accused, ironically, of poisoning several prominent Russians, including Yagoda's predecessor, as well as the famous Russian writer Maxim Gorky. So... Yagoda was going off the rails, the power was going to his head, hide your kids, hide your wife, because he's poisoned everyone out here, and Solomon was not cool with it. Because even though it's a secret Russian laboratory, there's rules, there's regulations, there's stuff that you have to follow, and Yagoda was not following these things. So, he was shot. Next in line after Mr. Yagoda was Professor Grigory Marinovsky, a very slender man-looking fella. He, He really fit the job. He was quite gaunt. I don't know. I saw a picture of him, and I was just a little scared. It made an impression on me. It's like the perfect job for him. Secret poison laboratory scientist. He was born for the job. Anyways, so... Grigori's new updated version of the lab was attached to a group of assassins that were tasked to kill enemies of the Soviet Union. Grigori experimented with more than a dozen poisons, the names of which I cannot say, but we're going to try to do this together. So, he experimented with thallium, ooh, okay, that's not too hard, sodium cyanide, also, we got that one, colchicine, Colchicini, colchicine, Digitoxin, Acetonite, Sturchini, and Kuraka. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to end there and I'm going to go listen to Pronunciation.com. Teach me how to say these. I'll be right back. Hold on. All right, let's try again. So we've got colchicine, digitoxin, aconitine, strychnine, and curare. Whew, we did it. God, pronunciation.com is so helpful. I always look up the pronunciation of any names or cities or places or, in this case, poisons. But I saw these names of the poisons and thought it would be hilarious to try and pronounce them just like off the cuff. So I hope you enjoyed that because I thoroughly did. But I digress. (laughs) So basically Grigori was living his best life, doing his thing at the chimera, experimenting with all of these different things. It was like a poison candy store for assassins. Poisons were starting to be used to eliminate political exiles, starting with General Alexander Kutepov. Kutepov was a tough anti Bolshevik and a veteran of the Russian Civil War. He was also the head of the military wing of the anti Soviet organization organization. He was not liked, not liked by the Bolsheviks. And one day he was on. The streets of Paris, just a walk-in, and four unknown assailants popped out of a car, injected him with something, shoved him back into the car, drove off, and he was never seen or heard from again. Literal nightmare fuel. <laughs> Whew. So like I previously said, the goal of the secret room, or the chimera as it was now known, was to create untraceable poisons And that meant both the poison itself and the method of injection was supposed to be indetectable. Whenever a poison was detected in the corpse of a political activist or high-profile victim, it would not be used again. For this reason, the chimera was constantly developing new poisons and they were also developing ridiculous but sneaky ways to poison people. The point of poison is to be sneaky, to go undetected. And that means coming up with ways to give the target the poison without being caught. And by leaving everyone baffled, thinking the person died of natural causes or making it look like a suicide or a weird medical phenomenon. If the poison worked too well and the person died before you could escape it wasn't a good poison. If the poison wasn't good enough and didn't kill the person and just made them kind of sick, it wasn't good enough. So these secret poison scientists had to come up with some real innovative shit. But they also had to follow strict regimented protocol. As Jeffrey E. Stern writes in his investigation of Russian poisoning death in the Atlantic, the mystery of this case and of countless others before is the flourishing... Final touch of a highly planned state operation. Once a plan is developed, it is passed down a formal chain of command from the Kremlin to the chief of the Secret Service to the head of the FSB, the successor of the KGB, to the actual Chimera. Not even assassinations are exempt from the singular Russian bureaucracy. A target's body type, weight, weight, eating habits, and other details must be known by a specialist who chooses a poison and calculates its dose. An assassin can't count on a second chance if the dose is too low and might be exposed as the killer if the dose is too high and symptoms come before he can escape. Agents draw on careful planning and a long history of tradecraft, which is why when enemies of the Kremlin die, Blame is almost never conclusively established. One example of this next level planning and sneaky list is with Grigory Markov, a Bulgarian dissident who died after a KGB agent pricked him with a freaking umbrella tip. In the tip of the umbrella, there was this tiny pellet gun thing full of poison and it embedded in his skin and even doctors couldn't find it when they x-rayed it was crazy it was bananas in 1957 Nikolai Koklov a KGB defector came close to death after drinking a cup of coffee laced with an unknown type of thallium how they got him with a cup of coffee nobody knows it was his coffee he was just out and about how did it happen I have no idea. By the height of the Cold War, a clear target pattern emerged in the Soviets' use of nerve agents and chemical weapons, with political rivals, dissidents, defectors, exiled people, and leaders of independence movements in the Soviet republics, including one priest, like a priest even, was wiped out by these toxins. Other innovations, such as cyanide, that could be used as a mist- It was a version cyanide and also another poison that made the cause of death appear to look like a heart attack and also a gas pistol that could shoot liquid up to 65 feet away. One politician was killed by a poison sprayed into his lamp, his bedside lamp. The poison was sprayed there. It was totally fine, dormant. But when he turned on the light bulb and the light bulb started heating up, it caused the poison to heat and turn into a gas and disperse through the room, but then also disappeared without a trace. <sighs> this is James Bond who? I, we don't know him. This is amazing. 007 stuff. But, you know, it wasn't all good and sneaky. And people make mistakes, and sometimes the assassins, you know, they fudged up a little. Like in 1957, when KGB defector Nikolai Koklov survived a thallium poisoning. Or in 1971, when the Nobel Prize winner Alexander Solzhenitsyn survived an attempt to poison him. As did former Ukrainian President Viktor Yoshenko in 2004. Oh, are you shocked that I said 2004, friend? Are you thinking, mm, I thought this was a history podcast? Well, I'm sure you're not because you're smart. You're a smart little cookie. And technically 2004 is history. It's, it's in the past. So it counts, right? It totally counts. But hold on to that thought. We got to talk about some other stuff first before we go back to this 2004 business. After the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991, the knowledge of the Chimera was released to the public and then it was promptly shut down. Shut down. Air quotes. Shut down. There was a whole big to-do about it and there was no poisonings for a really long time that we know of. Until the early 2000s, and then there was a shit ton. Like in 2004 with Viktor Yoshenko, or with Alexander Litvenko, a former KGB and then FSB agent in 2006. He was murdered. After confirming that Putin's Russia was still operating a Soviet-era poison lab, <coughs> the Chimera, <laughs> the secret room, uh, meant to research and produce toxic weapons for the same past purchase purposes, Litvinenko was a former KGB agent and he had defected and that is a absolute no-no. He was killed via poison after drinking tea laced with radioactive polonium-210. And you know what extra sucks about his death? The thing with radioactive poisoning, I watched this in a Criminal Minds episode, actually side note, um, I've been watching a lot of Criminal Minds recently. It's like my comfort show. And this <laughs> this episode topic idea actually came from an episode of that where somebody was uh, poisoned with radioactive material. Anyways, it's a great episode. If you like Criminal Minds, we, we can be friends. I mean, we're already friends. Anyways, this poor guy, he was poisoned by radioactive material And radioactive poisoning is really, really slow. And in like some form of Greek hell, this radioactive poisoning was killing him slowly, so he had time to collaborate with Scotland Yard officers to solve his own murder. Dude was gonna die. He was a dead man walking. But he was able to help the officer's find his murderer, which is cool, but also terrible. Even now, in 2021, we are still dealing with poison, especially from Vladimir Poo Poo and his bullshit. But just like the leaders before him, he claims that there is no secret poison-making room. But with the most recent case of poisoning by Alexa Navani, It can't be denied. He was poisoned with Russia's poison masterpiece, the apex of poison, Novichok, which is only made in Russia. It is so ridiculously potent and tasteless, scentless, undetectable. But in 2020, The Kremlin spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, told reporters he disagreed that there was a trend of Kremlin opponents being poisoned. And he says, quote, You'll agree that in many countries in the world, every day, a lot of poisonings happen. You need to look case by case. (coughs) Bullshit. I call bullshit. And I know you know that's bullshit, dear friend. And here is why. In 2006, Russia passed a law permitting the extrajudicial killing of extremists abroad, meaning outside of the country. People labeled as extreme or against Russia were totally allowed to be killed under Russian law. Russia's current intelligence services, the FSB and the SVR, have expressly embraced the KGB's old and it looks like the secret room is here to stay. Holy banana sandwich friend, I had to dig so deep, so deep to find a final thought for you today, and let me say, (laughs) it is neither happy or uplifting, but it's like, kind of ironic and maybe a little funny if you're into like morbid weird humor and you're not a fan of Stalin it was a stretch my dear friend a a stretch I'm not I'm not proud of this final thought but here we go you might like it I kind of like it so Vladimir Lenin started this whole secret room stuff right right let me tell you how he kicked it off Mr. Lenin decided and proposed that he would be actually the first victim of the secret room. After suffering a debilitating stroke in 1922, possibly from the Karare poison he got a few years earlier, the first leader of the Soviet Union asked his successor, Yosef Stalin, for some good-ass Russian-made cyanide to commit suicide. He didn't want people to see him as a a weak person, a a person that could be taken down by a stroke. He didn't like that image, so he just thought that he could die. But Stalin was like, nah, I'm not going to do that, man. That's not going to happen. But little did Lenin know that his wish would not be denied. Lenin was super paranoid, dude, and he was actually a total dick, believe it or not. And started to not be liked by some folks. He died on January 21st, 1924, and everyone thought it had been a heart attack, but his death is now thought to be caused by dun 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 poisoning. Yes, I know. Irony. So, The historian and author Edvard Radinsky tracked down the last surviving guard from the night of Stalin's death. He chatted him up for all the hot tea, all the hot poison tea, and found out some very interesting information and details about that night. And here's the thing. The big kind of clue that Stalin's death was most likely poison. There was an order for all the guards to go to bed, but it was not given by Stalin. Nay, nay. Because Stalin, as I have said, was a super dick and would actually make fun of his guards if they looked or seemed or acted tired or groggy in any way. No, no. This order was given by commander of the guard, Colonel Krustolov. Mysteriously, the Colonel Sneaky Pants over here was the only one awake in the whole area because all the other guards were asleep. And he didn't see anything when questioned. He was like, nah, I didn't see anything. He just found Stalin splayed out on the floor, dead as a doornail. That detail, combined with some other things that Redginsky found, led him to believe that Stalin was actually poisoned by the very poison he had commissioned. I mean, maybe that's cosmic justice? Karma? I don't know. Call it whatever you want, but it's pretty cool. Well, that's all, my lovely friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Without you, I honestly wouldn't be here. There would be there would be no podcast. So I really just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend time with me and learn about some weird stuff and cool stuff and women's history. I appreciate you so much. I hope you have a lovely day, and if you're not having a lovely day, there's always tomorrow or the next day. Take care of yourself, drink your water. I'll see you on July 23rd when we talk about Noor Inyata Khan, the spy princess and Nazi killer. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay.